0: Hello and welcome to another Ulster Rugby Roundup with me Gareth Hannah, or Jonathan Bradley Hello and Adam, oh no hang on, hang on, who's this, who's this, hello John, our first uh, guest ever on the Ulster Rugby Roundup, what a time to be alive, it's John Dixon, uh, Ulster Rugby photographer extraordinaire, John tell us a little bit more about yourself.
1: Hello Gareth, and delighted to be with you this afternoon. Um, this Is the most polite you've ever been? I know, I know. It's very strange here, looking at you here, sitting, <laughs> around, sitting smiling at me. Um, I was say I'm the Ulster rugby photographer, and I've been doing that role for a few, no, a few years now, and uh, uh, hopefully uh, you're going to enjoy a bit of crack this afternoon. Fingers crossed.
0: Um, well, today we'll be discussing the future rugby careers of Paddy Jackson and Stuart Olding. We'll also look back at the win over Edinburgh. A win? A win? Imagine that. An away um, win of that. An away win, exactly. Um, we'll then look ahead to this Friday's game against Ospreys on the club scene. Um, John will be looking back at the finals week, and we'll build up to a massive final weekend in the All-Ireland League. Um, Balna Henchman John's going to try his best to be impartial on that one, aren't you? I'll try my best. <laughs> I don't think it will be. <laughs> um... So, first of all then, an apology for having no podcast last week. That was actually because I forgot that I was going on holiday. It was great. I was away in Edinburgh, not for the rugby. I actually came back before the match. But, um, yeah, sorry about that. I forgot I was going away. Adam was away too, and that left Jonathan on his own, so it wouldn't have been much of a podcast. I was actually, I was ready to
2: talk for just 45 minutes to myself, but uh, there was nobody here to record it. (laughs) Did you wear a kilt? The, Hannah, I, the Hannah kilt? I did not, I did not. From the Clan. I looked it up
0: actually. It's a lovely in white, white and sort of uh, blue tartan. Yeah. But there you are. No, I didn't get one. Anyway, first up then, the fallout from the trial. Paddy Jackson and Stuart Olding, of course, were found not guilty of all charges against them. Both have apologised for their behaviour. The question now surrounds their future on the pitch. Should Ulster let them play on, or should their time at the province be brought to an end? We know that the IRFU have set up a review committee. That was announced two weeks ago tomorrow, on Wednesday. We were told that the review would be concluded as soon as practicable, but after that, well, we haven't really heard an awful lot. As can be expected, there have been plenty of strong views voiced on either side.
2: So, Jonathan, where are we now? Well, I think if you've been following the coverage since the trial ended, um, the difference in tone from the end of the trial to where we are today is probably the thing that's of most interest to Ulster fans in terms of where we are with the possibility of Paddy Stewart and now Craig Gilroy. Um, he is also subject to review thanks to evidence that was used in the trial and where we stand with them playing for Ulster again. So obviously the depth of feeling involved in this from from all corners has been massive. Just to take our paper as an example, the difference in the tone from those early weeks or that early week before Paddy Jackson came out and apologised, just to give you a sort of sample, you know, we had... Our political editors, editor, Suzanne Breen, wrote a column saying that Paddy Jackson and shirt-holding should never play rugby for Ulster or Ireland again if they are allowed to put on a jersey for either province or country. It will be an unforgivable insult to women across this island. Um, that idea is reflected by the talk of a protest ahead of this Friday's game against the Ospreys that we have. Now, that's... From going off the Facebook page of the event that's been organised by the Belfast Feminist Network, there are 170 people said to be attending on Facebook, and the idea behind that, um, again, according to the Facebook, is that we are gathering to put pressure on Ulster Rugby not to re-employ the accused in the Belfast Rape Trial, and... For the purpose of accuracy, we would change that to the acquitted in the Belfast rape trial, considering their reprehensible and misogynistic attitudes towards women as indicated in their WhatsApp messages. The misogyny in our society will not go unchallenged. And over the first number of days post-trial, that was essentially the narrative. There was a widely shared petition on social media that it totaled nearly 70,000 signatures that the two players shouldn't play for Ulster Ireland again but in the last couple of days that's really been changing so as you mentioned Gareth we've had Bonnie uh, Jackson come out and apologise um for the events of that night in saying that it was never his intention to see anybody leave his house in distress and um, following that apology we had a very different tone in the column on Saturday's paper written by Lindy McDowell, which the crux of which was, they were stupid, but they are young and they deserve a chance to rebuild their lives and to prove to their families and to the wider public that they have learned their lesson. We generally think of role models in terms of the faultless, those we can look up to because we, because they never have and never will put a foot wrong. But there are role models too, and maybe more powerful inspiration for the young, among those who have made mistakes, who have acknowledged they have made mistakes, and who try to do what they can to atone. What does it say about the rest of us if we don't even give them a chance? So off the back of the events over the weekend, a petition was set up by Ulster Rugby... Um, supporters in the main I would assume and that as we were going to record today is no longer online but had reached 12,000 signatures before it was taken down Um, Neil Best, a former Ulster and Ireland player and somebody that we've had in the Belfast Telegraph quite a lot wrote an interesting piece as well where he came out with the idea that rehabilitation in this instance, is important um, to quote him, Not only are these young men employees of Ulster Rugby, but they come through the youth system, supposedly prepared as potential role models, for the pressures of fame and wealth in the goldfish bowl that is Belfast. The club in this system must shoulder a shared responsibility for the character and behaviour of the players it produces. Rather than suspending or sacking them, maybe Ulster should seek to further educate them... On standards and attitudes it expects, and review current programs to minimize the prospect of one of their systems products ever again becoming involved in anything like this. So, that was Neil Best's stance on how to take this forward and do something positive moving forward with it. Um, again, two sides to the same coin. Again, last week there was a crowdfunded ad in the Telegraph on Friday. Um, calling for the players to be, to not be reinstated. So that was crowdfunded by 139 people that were signed off as concerned fans. The Ulster Rugby Supporters Club released a statement in kind questioning whether the term concerned fans was fair, saying that they... Many have made it clear, sorry, many of their membership have made it clear that if this is not the case, reinstatement, it will strongly influence their decision on season ticket renewal or future Kingspan attendance. The Ulster Rugby Supporters Club is concerned that if such is the case, the numbers involved could impact adversely on support for the team and income for Ulster Rugby through ticket sales. The vast majority of members have made it clear they wish to see their early reinstatement to playing duties. That was in response, as I say, to the ad from or in the telegraph on Friday. Um since are in the day before we go to record another group has been set up on the platform to raise funds for an ad arguing for their reinstatement and just as we were going to record I believe that it hit the target of just over two thousand pounds as well so as we can see in the coverage the depth of feeling is still there and there's very much a sizable amount of people on both sides of this And
0: then, um, because it's been well just shy of two weeks since the IRFU statement that th- there is a review ongoing, um, I think there are people maybe frustrated at the length of time that te- that's taken. But given the strength of feeling on both sides, it's uh, clear to see that the IRFU and Ulster are in a in a, a difficult position here.
2: I think they're in a hugely difficult position because if you had to judge things on social media in the days after the trial, and there was an awful lot of legal issues arising from that, certainly in terms of libel, defamation, so on and so forth. But if you had have taken that as a sample of the feelings towards this issue, then it, you would have been very clear in what you would have thought that the public demands or desires were. But there were obviously, and there is obviously, a number of Ulster fans and... People in the wider public who do not feel that way and it's only been in the last sort of four days that that viewpoint has really had some sort of organized momentum behind it and is now getting more news coverage possibly off the back of patty's statement on friday but you know we've seen the creation of petitions now we've seen the creation of crowdfunding we've seen a statement from the rsc so it's now much more apparent that this is a debate amongst people on this island rather than how it would have seemed in the immediate aftermath when it seemed like there was an obvious conclusion. Yeah. So um, we, we don't really know then
0: at this time as to how long it's it's likely to, to take at all? We know, sort of. Um, no, the
2: moment. only, um, I suppose, official from Ulster Rugby that has commented on it, as we say, they're... The Ulster stance is that they're not commenting on it until the end of the review process, which is ongoing. At a press conference last week to preview the Edinburgh game, John O'Gibbs was in attendance and was asked by myself if he had had any indication of how long the review process would take, if and when he would be told whether the players would be available to play for him this season. And he said he had had no idea. Again, essentially, the review process will take as long as they is practical
0: well over the, the last few days and particularly probably because we didn't have a podcast last week um we have received some messages ourselves on social media questioning why um, we haven't sort of made clear our stance on the issue um John
2: would you, would you sort of respond to that in any way i understand why people especially when there wasn't a podcast assumed that there was a reason behind that the only reason that we haven't written anything declaring our own stance one way or the other is that we are especially myself reporting on the team and the feeling is that if the reporter's stance was to be made known then it would colour the coverage of when the verdict from this independent review is revealed so that's the only reason why it hasn't appeared in sport at present it's not being considered a sports story and whenever the review is concluded, then it'll be covered as a sports story in terms of what these guys are going to do, either playing or not playing for Ulster. And um, There is a difference between reporter and commentator or columnist. I understand that's clouded by the fact that I do write rugby columns and comment pieces from time to time, but essentially in this instance, I'm being employed to report on the events surrounding the Ulster team and to comment on them would put that in jeopardy just from a being balanced point of view whenever the verdict does come well
0: that's where we are now then um, with the aftermath of the trial in which Ulster players Paddy Jackson and Stuart Olding were cleared uh, of all charges so moving on then, of course, we have a victory to look back on, and a way of victory, as Jonathan rightly pointed out earlier. Um, the 32-20 bonus point win in Murrayfield last Friday night. We didn't really see that coming. John, as a photographer, you were front and centre. So um, how exactly did that happen?
1: I uh, don't really know, um, to be <laughs> honest. Um, there didn't seem to be anything different uh, last week than the week before and the week before that. The attitude before the game you know, was was just the same, travelling to the game was just the same. And you know, it's just probably maybe the introduction of the younger players into the network. Um and obviously Rory Best back in uh, leading the team. Um I don't think you really can underestimate how important Rory is to a side.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, Rory is a leader on and off the pitch and when he speaks everybody listens. Mm. And I think it's these things. He goes for these moments that he picks in a game. And it's building from one moment to the next moment to the next moment. And he's very big on that. And I think that that's whenever anything goes wrong or, or the boys achieve something, it's, it's the next moment that he builds for it. That's forgotten about. It's done. It's over. It's the next moment that he builds for. So um, it's his leadership, I think, was probably uh, a big uh, decisive factor last week. Also players like Darren Cave. You can't underestimate how important Darren Cave is. Um, to a defensive line, his skills—he mightn't be the quickest. He's thirty-one the day before, so he mightn't be the quickest now. But he certainly has a brain, and uh, he has a fantastic rugby knowledge. Um, you know, his line, his inside line—he took uh, to take that pass from from Jacob Stockdale to score the try, top drawer, and then going at the very end of the game, almost played eighty minutes. Darren's there on the inside, Stu McCluskey to take another inside pass, and he almost made the line. In fact, we got a penalty from that, which. Um, uh, uh, John kicked so you know KV from a from an attacking point of view and also his defensive organisation when you're sitting at the side of the pitch and you're shooting the game um, all you can hear is the chatter that's going on when KV's out there you can hear him so loud and so clearly <laughs> he's pointing he's shouting he's directing the operations uh, and you know that's the one thing I must say I really enjoy is being so close to the pitch that you're getting an insight that most supporters don't get mm-hmm. and um, you can actually see who's working and who's not working and I can tell you last Friday night, Kayleigh was an absolute star. I think that's a really interesting point actually because one of the things about watching a game in Murrayfield, because
2: there's so little crowd noise, is that that's one of the only times when you can actually hear the communication between the players quite clearly and you can see the amount of organisation that Darren Cave brings to proceedings. Ian Humphreys is somebody that I've interviewed a few times. I don't, I, keeps going up in conversation, I don't know why about Darren Cave <laughs> over the course of the interviews, but he always signal singles him out as somebody that you don't always necessarily see what he's bringing in terms of defence, but the organisation that he brings is second to none. And especially when you've got young players, you know, Johnny Phillips at 10, to have Darren Cave's organisational skills in that backline, and it, like even, you know, Jacob Stockdale somebody who's still learning positionally, so to have Darren Cave inside him as well for the try that he scored, the line that he scored off was a great, he, he picked a great line off that, but the try is actually created by the dummy line that he runs beforehand that opens up the space, and then the ball is able to get out wide to Charles Peerton and Charles still has an awful lot to do in that instance because it's pretty much a two-on-two, two, but he's able to draw both defenders and offload. But if you watch the move a couple of seconds previously, it's the line from Cave because it's a dummy line ran with purpose which essentially fooled Edinburgh and that's something that we haven't always seen um, in terms of Ulster attacking and da- I mean, Darren spoke after the game and he referenced an interview that I'd done with him a few weeks ago where he had said how much he believes that this isn't a bad Ulster team they're an underperforming Ulster team and um, we can play you a bit of the audio here
1: it's been hard to put the finger on what, what has been going wrong. Um, I get frustrated when people say it, it's a, a lack of passion and a lack of effort and a lack of enthusiasm because I think that's, uh, that's completely wrong. Um, I, got, I said a couple of weeks ago I didn't think this was a bad Ulster team. Um, uh, I thought that we'd underperformed a lot this year. And I still stand by that. I don't think this is a bad team. And I got a lot of flack on social media for saying that, that I believe in this team. Uh, uh, and that this is not a poor team, uh, in my opinion. And I
2: think it showed tonight. That was strange for me because it's... First of all, it's a pet peeve. Like, people tagging players in social media with their gripes. Like, it just doesn't need to happen. It, Do you know what? I, fair I, enough. Feel, I feel semi-responsible for this. Because that story,
0: obviously, I put the things out in social media and so I put it out, I think. That it mentioned, um, and it said maybe I'm deluded or something. So I had picked this out and just sort of posted the question on social media: Is he deluded? I oh, also so, tagged him in the post. So it was you
2: yeah. that tagged him; it wasn't the fans. Yeah, I right. think I think I did. So sorry, like, like Karen. I, I, I was going to launch a new thing there about <laughs> just how hold
1: on him minute just <laughs> thump him here. And
2: <laughs> so, I, I thought everyone would be, well, he would come back and say, "No, not at all." I, I had a wee thing there about how people should stop tagging players and social media criticism because it's think unnecessary it was but it turns out it was actually us. So <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll move on quickly from that then.
1: No coffee and donuts for you.
2: <laughs> sorry, sorry guys. Well before we get too far away from the
0: match actually on Friday night the, the young players who started the game were, were very impressive as well weren't they? The
2: selection in general if you look at the energy brought by the young players like I thought Tom O'Toole was just I, th- I thought he was fantastic for a 19-year-old coming into that environment of a team that's brittle in terms of their confidence. To be able to come into that environment, 19 years old, not long out of school, been playing for Bridge, been playing for the under-20s, and to perform like he did, just very robust. Um, I think he carried nine times, and impact carries as well. Maybe it didn't show in the metres, but in the way that he carried the ball... Just into the teeth of the opposition defence aggressively, nine tackles none missed There were issues in the scrum, but you know, nineteen years old, it no doesn't. Come. Yeah, it doesn't take a genius to think that there's going to be troubles in the scrum, especially against Endeavour Side Five because it's very good. You know, you're up against a guy that has played for Samoa internationally. So, I think yes, the, the scrumming is going to come, but for a first exposure to that level of rugby, really impressive. Maddie Dalton. Put himself about again. Um, Matty Ray had a good game as well. Sometimes he's drifted in and out again, just because of his experience level. Um, but I thought he had a good game as well. Um, throwing uh, Blair Kinghorn to the ground like a ragdoll's—that's so that's the kind of aggression that you want to see. That you know, the likes of Willie Anderson has talked about really being evident in these young forwards coming through. Jonathan wrote a piece in today's
0: paper, uh, John, about those young players and just how much sort of hope they're bringing from that performance and others. Um, looking ahead to Ulster, in your position, you probably see more of these young guys than a lot of fans have the chance to. Um, just sort of, what do you take from that, or how much sort of hope? How good can these young guys become, or who
1: should we, who else should we be looking out for? Well, I think uh, if you look at our academy, um, you know. I don't think Ulster fans realise that about 2006 to about 2010, we really didn't have any quality players coming through, any successful players really coming out of that academy. Probably Nevin Spence would have been one, um, and Tommy Seymour would have been another. Jamie Smith, but Tommy Seymour uh, obviously went off to Scotland, and Jamie Smith went off to the Dragons, got himself injured, and had to retire from the game. And that was basically it that came really out of that era really good quality players. So there was a a gap there of those four years, but what's happened since, um, Kieran Campbell and Willie Anderson have to take a lot of credit for these young guys that are coming through now, because... The only other coming through now, they're ready to take that next step. And it's get, taking the next step from being on an A-team or from being a club player to the A-team to playing professionally on the big stage. And I think um, if you look at what uh, Matty Dalton did at the weekend, and it was quite interesting, that dynamic, because a lot of people debate whether Hendy should be playing in the back row or would Hendy be in the second row. And I think, you know, his perform- Hendy's performance, Jonathan, I think on-, on Friday night was exceptional.
2: I think... If- if John Daisel was a man of the match, I think it was handy. And, you know, we talked about it the week before in the podcast of thinking that it was time to put this six or lock to be at to bed and just keep him at lock. And you, the energy that he provides in there, the fact that, you know, he's a one man wrecking crew in that game at times, and for him to pop up with the bonus point try really was fitting. I thought I thought he was stupendous on, uh, on Friday.
1: And then Manny Dalton, having been a BRA boy like himself, um, there was that little nice. Uh, a bit of continuity between the two of them afterwards in the changing rooms where they were they were laughing about the boots. So Manny didn't have a pair, proper pair of boots, scrummaging boots, and Handy brought him a pair of boots to to, to wear. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you know, there was that bit of dynamic going on behind <laughs> the scenes as well. But you know, the two of them like me, you can see, were uh, he's an ex uh, BRA guy, and they've obviously formed a friendship very quickly. But then they talk about Tom O'Toole. Tom energy in that first half and the way he was hitting players, hitting rocks, and carrying ball and uh, he did very, very well there's another young guy who's going to come through Tommy O'Hagan, Lucía Prop um, Tommy again has Is played that the guy who makes the funny social media videos isn't yeah, yeah, he? Did the that, video that's what hilarious. I know him from yeah. yeah It was hilarious um, to- Tommy uh, <laughs> He's known as Tommy Swa He's from Swatra uh, he's a, um, Tommy Swa is a, a real character He's a very funny guy uh, very strong um, still learning the game um, he, he plays at Rainy old boys and he is a quality, quality guy. Very, very strong. Carries the ball well. Um, I was over with the A-team uh, for the quarterfinal match over in, in Bedford and I've been actually following the A's quite a bit this year. I must have done five or six of their games, but um, in Bedford this year, I really was so impressed with them because uh, they, they just played with energy, they played for each other and what Willie and, and Kieran have done, have built a real team atmosphere. A, a real character, a real culture within that A team, and it, there's a real buzz and energy in around the changing room, in around you know the, the team room in the hotel, on the bus. You know, you just you just can tell that they all love playing together. They love playing for Ulster, uh, and they love representing the province and. By Jove, they went out and represented the province against Bedford. They should have actually won the game. Mm. um, Bar a high tackle on on, um, Angus Curtis on the line, which really, in my opinion, should have been a a penalty try. The referee and the two assistants missed it. And that was more or less on the final play. We would have won the game, and and we've been out off to Ealing this weekend or next weekend, wherever Mm. it is. But I think that um, there's so so many other young good players there. Matty Ray last in that Bedford game was... Exceptional. I have never had twenty minutes from a number six. He, he's, um, not Matty Marcus Ray, sorry, Matty's younger brother. And uh, Marcus Ray was, and in he injured his shoulder and went off after twenty minutes. And if he had played uh, with that tempo for the rest of the game, I would have said it was probably the best game of rugby I've seen from a six in a long time because he was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. So there are, there's a lot of talent coming through, boys. And if any, you know, was sort of looking at that a, that a system, Nick Timoney has just come through it and he's been excellent for us this year. Uh, There's Matty Dalton, uh, Tom O'Toole, Marcus Ray, Matty Ray, Tommy O'Hagan, Angus Curtis, Rob Little, don't forget, Um, John Andrews uh, at Hooker, and then another Hooker who's another brilliant player, um, Adam McBurney. Another uh, young guy, um, you're only 21 years old, Um, then there's Johnny Stewart at Scrum Half, and then there's a couple of players that are coming through, Jack Regan, second row, uh, he's a young guy over Leinster um, and he's uh, playing his rugby at Ballinahinch, and he's uh, playing on the second the row Ballin first first the Hinch first Hinch sorry <laughs> 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 and uh, um, two boys who, uh, who uh, went to RBAI um, Michael Laurie and Jamie mm-hmm. Hume Michael Laurie at out half and, Jonathan likes to mention uh, Michael
2: Lowry every other week. Every Michael, uh, Michael Lowry is a stupendous player,
1: unbelievable <laughs> player. And he's, coming through, he's going to come through uh, as a future 10 for Ulster, there's no doubt. And James Hume, again, James has had a, a season where he's uh, only coming back from injury. Uh, but he's a really talented rugby player and um, he keeps his feet in the ground. And uh, he should come through very well for Ulster. So, look, at the end of the day, you're looking at a situation where Probably this has been a horrendous year for Ulster and results. We haven't achieved anywhere we anywhere uh, we want to achieve, but where they're going and the positivity that's around the squad and these young guys that are coming through, it's by no means a, um, a bad picture at all. I think it's a very positive picture for Ulster.
0: Well, every sort of every time we ask for listener questions, we seem to get a wreck in about know um, the, the squad for next season, what it's players they can sign. A wreck? a wreck, is it? Is it very country? That's country. Sure, we're country, country boys, aren't we?
2: Right. <laughs> would you not say a
0: wreck, Jonathan? I actually, I actually boy? would say a wreck. But
2: oh, yeah. I
0: mean, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we get a wreck of um, uh, people asking just sort of about the squad for next year, what players you should sign, what positions they need to strengthen, but if all these young guys are, are progressing so well, would a, maybe a, a more pertinent thing to do be to increase their role in the squad and give them a more important standing from the start of the season?
2: There was a story during the rounds whenever Leo Cullen got the Leinster job that his two KPIs, if you like, were to win the European Cup and to blood 10 young players to get at least five games a year. And that's a really interesting dual strategy. I I don't think one of Ulster's KPIs should be to win the European Cup. But if you're looking at... We have this talented group of young players... How do we expose them to Pro 14 Rugby? And it can't just be whenever players get injured and then they're thrown in in an emergency. And I was talking to Bryn Cunningham quite recently about this and we've got the piece in the paper where Bryn says that we will reduce the size of our squad going into next season because the big focus for us is blooding those young players. It's important we get them more game time and make it quite organized. So that's the kind of thing that he's saying and to me that's encouraging that you target these players and say we want to get them X amount of games and we're not going to give it to them just whenever somebody gets injured and throw them into a game where they're not surrounded by experienced players, maybe during the Six Nations or during the November window, whatever, but just target a game where somebody, say Tom O'Toole is an example, right? Tom O'Toole can play a game alongside Rory Best and alongside the first-choice Lucid, with Handy behind him in the scrum and have him exposed to... S- top level rugby in that way. And if you do that for everyone, you know, you might have a young player playing in the team every week in order to get this. But if they're surrounded by fourteen senior players and that transition's a lot easier than saying, right, it's November, um we haven't got any of our internationals and a few senior boys are injured. So we're gonna throw them all in now. Like the Treviso game being the exam the example here earlier Benetton. this season, Benison side. on Adam's where, behalf. <laughs> where a, an awful lot of young players were thrown into the team all at once. And, you know, the way Bryn's talking there, it seems like it's going to be a lot more planned out. We did a thing for the podcast not that long ago where we looked at these boys in the academy and said, here's where Ulster have the talent mm-hmm. coming through. Where would you look at recruiting? And that's important as well because you can look to see where all these players are coming through, but you'll have a far better idea in a year's time, or two years time, of who is making it and who isn't making it. So when you're looking at recruitment for next season, Bryn Cunningham has already came out and told fans that next year might not necessarily be any easier than this year. So what's the harm in saying, let's find out what we have with these academy players? Like Willie Anderson has an awful lot of faith in these players and then everyone believes him because if Willie anderson told you that a black crew was white you believe him because he's Willie (laughs) anderson but you know if we can see these players coming through and fans can see these players coming through then it would really change the narrative around this season because obviously it's been negative Mm -hmm. this season but if you could see the progress being made part of that is ulster being held to the standards of a team that they don't have anymore they're held to the standard of a team that there were four years ago and they're expected to win silverware. If you look at it objectively the team at the minute doesn't stack up to Leinster in the Pro 14 to be challenging them for silverware, but in order to get back there you need these boys in the academy to be something so you need to find out what you have and before you go and spend charge pay time money on another import then it makes sense to be looking in a market where you know we have and post-World Cup as well because you have to remember the post-World Cup it's a very different transfer market to be going into you see so many more established players moving Um, Sopo Aga moving Brad Shields moving this summer both going to Wasps in terms of really really big switches from Southern Hemisphere to Northern Hemisphere there's not that many out there this season and that's because of the World Cup and next year and next year as well Yeah, Mm -hmm. so I mean for me as somebody who likes to see the young players coming through in any organization because that's what you need but it's especially true for ulster who as john mentioned before are struggling now because of the feelings of their academy in the past so if you can see next season you might not necessarily be back to where you want to be but you could say that you're going down the right path and that for me is the encouraging thing from Friday night. It's not the fact that Ulster won away. It's not the fact that Ulster beat a good side. It's not the fact that the playoff hopes for this season lived to fight another day. It's the fact that they did so with a 19 year old at tight head, Matt Dalton making his first start, Matty Ray in the back row, mm. and even the two, the two guys on the bench. As much as you feel for them not getting on, given the nature of the way the game was, I mean, their time will come
1: and haven't been involved in the squad. Will stand to them as well. But I yeah. might just say there's one other important thing. It's the energy they bring to that shirt. They really want to play for Ulster. Mm. Massive, massive incentive for them. So it's the energy that they bring to the squad as well when they're in and around the team room. It's that energy that Willie and Kieran have created with the A team, and it was evident at the weekend in Edinburgh, and it showed on the pitch as well. Mm. You know, I, you know. One other point I was going to make earlier was if you look at this season in particular, we have struggled, but. You know, your JP hasn't played all year; he's been injured. Uh, Marcel played against the Cheetahs was absolutely magnificent. So was John Diesel that night. But John, for whatever you know, he's had a bad injury season. Um, played brilliantly um, on Friday night against Edinburgh. I think
2: it's important to note that as well because, like, we've criticised John Diesel yeah, in the past for not being able to crack this team as an NIQ, which is a situation that shouldn't happen, but. He was very, very good on Friday night, like 20 carries and a couple of big moments of the breakdown as well, so I think it's j- just a note that. <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, yeah. you know, On top of everything else, um, with the patty and Stu not being available, Rory wasn't available for a lot of games I think his first game for Ulster this year was La Rochelle away, yeah. which mm-hmm. was actually the first game before the Autumn Internationals. We didn't see him then for the next four weeks. And, and then, well. and then he gets injured, and then we we had him. Uh, you know, the next time I think we saw him was maybe an early. Oh, did we have him for the? He came back to play the Leinster, the Leinster game, game. Yeah. and then uh, it's into Six Nations again. Really, you know, Rory's been missing for a lot of the season, and, um, and as I said before, he's such such a massive asset to have on the on the pitch. Yeah, thank goodness there are no more Ireland
0: uh, matches interrupting the rest of the season then. Looking ahead then to this Friday evening's game, Ulster at home to Ospreys, and what could be a preview of the Champions Cup playoff. Um, if you're wondering what that's all about, actually I had a little look at it yesterday because I was confused about was all these uh, Champions Cup playoffs, the extra Pro 14 playoffs. Um, so I had a little look and put a little explainer up on our website just detailing what they all are, when they're well not when they're happening because as Jonathan's annoyed about, we don't really know when they're happening yet. But um, as, as, as long as they're not happening the same weekend as my stag day, then. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be wonderful. Um, and uh, yeah, just sort of what Ulster's chances are of finishing in which playoff, if any. Um, so you have a little look at that. It's like the first rugby article I've written in a long time. So I'm just going to give it a plug. There it is. Um, but the match on Friday night, then, um, it's the first of Ulster's doubleheader at home, Ospreys and then Glasgow. You would think on paper, um, this is probably the easier again as we said before the air quotes don't come across well on the podcast but um to win of the two and at least one home win you think is going to be crucial if they're going to stay ahead of Benetton at least because Benetton closed the season against Zebra so they're going to get a win um so also really you would think need to win this one Linda
1: um yes they do and it's unfortunate that we're playing Glasgow the following week, because we should have had Glasgow in the middle of the Six Nations, uh, they would have come to Belfast um, a lot weaker um, because they had a lot of players in the in the Scottish setup, um, and we're not having that. Um, we just have to deal with it. But looking ahead to to, to the Ospreys first, um, Alan Clark coming back here as the the head Ospreys coach is going to add another dimension to it. Um, but what was interesting uh, in the press conference today, uh, uh, Niall uh, Malone must have been able to give Jono some insights as to what Alan wanted uh, from uh, when he was analysing a team. So it's interesting, that dynamic as well, because uh, there's nobody who knows Alan better than than Niall Malone. So uh, I'm sure we've been able to analyse the Ospreys uh, just as well. Uh, they're, they're a quality side, um, but I have to say... If our fellas turn up like they did in Edinburgh and they go out onto that pitch in front of a full house, um, it's going to be a, a brilliant night. I'm looking forward to it already.
0: Yeah, it's uh, sort of strange we haven't done this in a while where the feeling is generally positive going into a match. Um, the they must fancy their chances after last Friday night.
2: Well, I think in past podcasts when people had said when is this team going to win a game, like, well, the day of Ospreys coming here. The issue is that this is a different Ospreys team coming. Like, under Clarke, they've won four in a row in the league now. And whereas at the start of the season, they were really battling with Zebra for bottom place in that conference, now they're also fighting for Champions Cup Rugby to get into that playoff. And they look to have seen off the challenge of Connaught essentially to be Conference A's representative in that game. You know, you've got Alan Wynne Jones back, you've got Justin Tipper back, you've got Dan Bigger back. So they're a different side to what they were in previous months. And Clarkey seems to be getting the best out of them. Um, obviously, we play Steve Tandy after the, after the Champions Cup. So, yeah, it's, it'll be interesting to see Clarkey bring a team over here and be in the, uh, the opposition coach's box. Well, one part of the selection
0: then um, for Friday night, Tommy Boo was at, uh, put up for questioning at the uh,
2: press conference today. Does that mean he's going to start the match? Well, cheapers, it hasn't always this season. <laughs> I've had, we've had a few, uh, a few substitutes that have been saved for Friday pieces that have had to be rewritten. So uh, I wouldn't put any bets on on what that means. Um, for Tommy, it's obviously it's a big occasion because he he's playing Ospreys, his old team. He played some fantastic rugby for them um, before he c- came back to Ulster. Um, the other thing as well is as we get to the end of this season, you know, we had Tommy Bowe and Colin Black at. Today's presser and we're getting to the stage where these boys are all nearly playing their final games for Ulster as, as Tommy Bo said there's no guarantee that he'll have another game this this might be his last yeah. game which is strange to think about because there's so much on the line and there's so much else going on but if this were to be Tommy Bo's send off obviously a nice one in terms of it being the Ospreys but I don't know, I don't think anyone's really prepared for the idea that this might, <laughs> be, might be his
0: last game. Aspect. Well, looking ahead then to what could be his last match, here's a little bit of what Tommy had to say. Yeah, yeah, looking forward to obviously coming up against the Ospreys again, having been over there for four years. A
1: lot of guys I would have played with um, are still part of that team, so yeah, it's, it's going to be a, a special game. You know, it's coming down to last few performances or ch- chances to play out on this pitch again. Uh, for me so it's trying to savour it and obviously to come up against the Ospreys will make this one particularly special. Feeling confident obviously there's a lot of smiles on faces you know given the results at the weekend so it's it's nice to see um, the, the guys enjoying themselves being able to you know push each other uh, young fellas coming into the squad last week again pushing the older fellas like myself so um, yeah looking forward to a big performance you know all the games now towards the end of the season are, are going to be huge for us you know must win games so we, we know that the pressure's on but you know, hopefully we can thrive on it.
0: Well John as we've mentioned then you're involved with the team um, at very close quarters on match days um, you've mentioned a few things so far um, but what I sort of wonder, I mean you travel with the team, you're in the, the changing room and things what does sort of like a match day look like from behind the scenes in that sort of angle that, that fans and us mere journalists don't get to see?
1: Uh, sometimes it's um, a long drawn out day uh, generally, the team travel the day before the match, so they they get into the hotel the evening before, uh, get settled in, have a meal. Um, generally, uh, Johnny Davis, uh, who is the head of strength and conditioning, he um, he selects the menu, and <laughs> sometimes it wouldn't be um, what you would call the most. Uh, Appetizing meals. Uh, although recently, uh, what, what are we uh, oh, we're usually talking pasta, chicken, um, oh, high high in carbs, um, chicken with a tomato sauce, um, basil mm-hmm. sauce. You know, the and le- players
2: get the same. Like, uh, you know, does Johnny Stewart get the same as
1: like yep. a prop? <laughs> yep, they all get the <laughs> same. Uh, but no, to be fair, Johnny, the Welsh trips this year have been very good because the hotels we've been staying in um, with fillet steaks <laughs> and they've been exceptional. They've been very very good. The food's been good, but. Generally, the night before they have a meal, and then the guys just um, they would have a they, they have a little uh, thing to do. They, they get together and a, a, they have a bit of a, a team bonding thing that they get up to, and uh, and then uh, the next day it's uh, usually a lie in and late breakfast. Um, and the boys again down to the team room for that. And again, there's no sausages on the menu. <laughs> you get poached eggs. You don't get fried eggs.
0: And, I
1: like poached eggs. JD's like JD's very strict. You know, so, um, so yeah, you, ba- you would get bacon, um, and usually the best thing is uh, there's usually a chef on call to produce any type of omelette you want. Uh, so they can are. Can you avail of these services? I'm sure. Well, I would have an omelette now. I would, I would eat it very healthy, as you know, as you can see, I'm, <laughs> I'm well tuned. <laughs> so, uh, so yes, uh, you, you, the, the omelettes are lovely. Then uh, later on in the morning, you, the boys will go for a team walk normally, um, which will be all everybody together. About eleven o'clock, half past eleven, they'll go. Uh, for example, if they're in, in, in over in Wales and they're staying at the the, the Vale Glamorgan Hotel, they would go to uh, down onto the pitches. They would throw a ball about, and they have a couple of wee games that they would play uh, forwards against backs, um, just walk through games which are quite fun. Uh, and then back to the uh, back to the uh, hotel lunch. If it's an evening kick off, they'll, they'll eat probably about twelve o'clock, and then um, they'll eat again at about four o'clock or half past four. Um, again, the food's very high in carbs. You've got um, gnoc- gnocchi, is it? <laughs> it's I have awful no stuff. Idea. S- sp- speaking of culture, <laughs> <laughs> just gnocchi. <laughs> well, there was there was gnoc- I was, I asked I had to ask what it was. Um One again. Gnocchi. <laughs> I think it is um, with again with this lovely tomato pasty pa- um, um, tomato sauce with it, and you normally have chicken pieces. Um, or Spanish meatballs, again, in, in the sauce. It's high carb stuff, again, loading up for the match. Uh-huh. And then it's uh, team meeting, and then bus out to the ground. And when you get to the ground, um, Mick the bagman has the whole place all set up for the boys. They literally just walk in, and their shirts, everything's there, all brilliantly set up. Mick does a grand job and has it all ready. And then after that, uh, they go straight into their own warm-up routines. And then it's grip warm-up and bang into the match. After yeah. the match, um, uh, they sometimes there's um, food in the change rooms. Other times they go to an after match reception, which just is a, a dinner. There's always food laid on for them, and then back to the hotel. If the most times they actually charter um, to get them back home uh, as quickly as possible after a match, because you recover far better uh, and prepare for the next week. Mm-hmm. So it's important that they uh, they get back uh, quickly. From, from games, so uh, Ulster would charter sometimes. Yeah. Um, last weekend they flew commercially because um, Edinburgh has so many flights in and out of it, it was handy yeah. enough to do. Um, I
0: saw Rory early on Saturday actually, in Portadown train station, I was too scared to talk to him, but I thought jeepers they got back quickly. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: that was was an early flight, yes. Um, but uh, that's generally what happens on match day, so it, it can be long, drawn-out day but uh, players always try to set them, give themselves something to do to occupy themselves the boys playing cards in the corner on their iPhones or whatever. They'll bit busy.
0: Yeah. Well, one question I wanted to ask, I mean, it, probably one of the most talked about things in the podcast this season has been Rory's quote when he said that he has a fair idea in training the week before a game whether they're going to win or not. And you're spending all this time with the team. You talked about atmosphere and changing room and stuff. Can you tell before a game from the atmosphere in the changing room, do you think you have a fair idea what the results gonna be here? Yes I can. And how? Like what what's, what's the difference? <laughs> do you think I can? <laughs> 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 <It'd be>
1: straight, <laughs> but you said that very convincing. Straight to the boogies. <laughs> no No idea. Absolutely no idea. Um I think so you don't notice any change
0: because one thing we've been talking about from that quote is sort of what what the difference is or what um, how like do you know? Is there a difference in in the attitude, or is there a difference in the atmosphere?
1: Uh, oh, I think there was last weekend. Um, it was the energy last weekend. I I could I could feel it, and I think it was it was the young players. Mm. Um, been introduced into the squad and there was a wee bit of a buzz about the place um, Rory been back um, so there was a wee bit of a difference, um, like Darren said to me after the game and then I interviewed him after the game and Darren said that you know eh, there was no difference this week to the last week well I actually felt there was a slight difference uh, and again going back to the week before whenever I was away in Bedford with them, with the A team it was that similar type of wee bit of energy that, that they had, there was a buzz around the, the team room for breakfast and it was the, the young guys were there and you're looking around you're seeing the likes of Angus Curtis sitting there. And funny enough, so you're in the team room and you see Angus Curtis and you see uh, Big Dalte and all the guys who are on the A-team sit at their table. <laughs> Rory and Handy and all sit at their table. <laughs> The management sit at their table, so they, they do you know, well, they do mix up, by the way. It was just funny. I noticed these wee things <laughs> sitting at the table. Which table do you sit at? Uh, I really don't sit. <laughs> I'm not allowed to sit. He's too busy. I'm <laughs> too busy. I'm working all the time.
0: Well, you've been involved with Australia, then, as I said, since 2003. You must have a few good stories.
1: I cannot tell you any stories. None. No tour talk. Well,
0: well that's going what to be
1: short, be then. just... The biggest changes
2: that you've seen about surrounding Ulster Rugby over the time that you've you've been involved with,
1: them. Uh, I would definitely think strength and conditioning being the the, the one big change um, back from from the early days, where the uh, and the science that's involved in, in the sport that is a massive change, um, and I'm not saying that the old days were were, were any worse, um, but. Uh, I, I do honestly see a massive change there, some would say that's not for the better because the collisions that are taking place on the pitch now are massive, um, players, more players are getting injured, more players are retiring early um, uh, so maybe it's not a good thing but that has been a big, a big change, even the technology, uh, nowadays it used to be in the old days, it was film whenever I was started out it was actually film, you had a, a roll of 35, uh, 36 uh, <laughs> frames per, per roll uh, now I was shoot And a half thousand frames a match, uh, which is her you know, when you think about that's a heck of a lot of editing (laughs) at the end of a game. So, I mean, I do a match, um, I mean, I'm tweeting from the side of the pitch for our Twitter account. So, part of my role is to help uh, assist the media uh, department and uh, commercial and the media department there on there to promote Ulster rugby. So, we're doing the Twitter account, gets a lot of traffic, and uh, so I tweet during the game to live to, to, to that count um, and after the match I'd help out with um, some post-match interviews and just help generally with whatever's needed video stuff or video interviews or whatever um, would do all that and then as well as Ulster Rugby I'm involved at the professional side I also help out with the domestic side and uh, I would cover a lot of um, age grade rugby um, the A-team stuff and obviously the, the finals week here, as we had last week. Yeah. What's the? Uh, do you have a favourite shot that you've ever taken? Oh, that's a uh, yeah, yeah, I do, um, and that is the photograph that's down in the tunnel. Uh, it's the photograph at the end of the game against. Um, Munster whenever we beat them in, at Thummond Park, where um, Stefan Ter Blanche is famously bending back with his arms in the air, Darren it, Stevie Ferris, uh, Tommy Court and Ronald Carras heads on his knee crying. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favourite photograph I think. I've, I mean I've had a lot of them. I like the Robert Little one where he went over in the corner uh, where he actually yeah. dived in the other side of the post uh, to set the ball down uh, against the yeah. Dragons. I think it yeah. was in his first uh, first game. Uh, that I loved that photograph because it was just yeah. he actually knew what he was going to do in his own mind <laughs> from about five yards out. I just couldn't believe he did it and then set the ball down so accurately, and I managed to capture it. Sometimes they're, they're soft and uh, not sharp, but the, luckily it's all about the luck. Uh, I got that one nice and sharp, and so I think it, the Robert Little try and and the um, the, the final whistle at Thun Park are my two favourite ones. The Robbie Dyak um Leonard Leonard Leonard. one. That's that, that. was a great one as well. <laughs> that was a Connaught That was a really cold, cold December night, and uh, it was a line out um, five meters from the uh, from the Connacht line. And Robbie, uh, Rory just overthrew it a wee bit, and Robbie had to really stretch and I managed to ca- He managed to catch the ball literally on the end of his index finger. And just ho- just tapped the ball into his hand, and I just managed to get him with his full stretch. So it was that <laughs> it was also a nice shot. Nice because it was nice because it was a black, black, black sky, and then the white Ulster jersey, and just the yeah. you know it was just a good shot that one too. Yeah. Whenever like rolls around to skill picture day, I was always the kid with like a frown in his face because I just hate getting
2: my picture taken. Like who's who's the grumpiest Ulster player when they have to. The, uh, promo shots?
1: Uh, Rory Best <laughs> no, without a shadow of a doubt Rory, and, but yet he's very professional, he grumbles and grumbles and grumbles and he goes, to, hey, "Baker, how long is this going to take me? and I would say, it's going to take you one minute, and he says, I'll hold you to that <laughs> and I always try to do it in a minute uh, the, the one thing I find about working with players, they haven't got a lot of patience, so if you can actually do the thing in a minute and get, it, get what, what they want away quickly then they like it it's whenever you start flapping about and have flashlights going setting up flashlights and doing all the rest of the stuff which is really not that really necessary but um, they get they get fed up with that so um, I try to get things done quickly for them Rory would be the the worst to work uh, to handle you know one but he also is best. the best to work with I have to <laughs> say too one of my favorite Rory best lines ever is going to get
2: his picture taken I, I don't think it was you I think it must have been one of the um, other companies coming in and he asked, did he have to do it? And he was told, yes, you have to do it. And he was like, I'm 33 years old. I've had no hair since I was 23, and I've looked the same since I was 25. What new pictures are we taking? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, we'll move on then to our final section this week. Oh, we don't have the weekly, do we? I'm just thinking that. We introduced a new, uh, a new section, and we've dropped it after one week. But well, uh, that's... <laughs> With our,
2: with our first guest we didn't really have time for listener questions yeah. and I don't think we even got any on Twitter because people no. thought when we didn't do one last week that we just weren't going to do one ever yeah. again yeah. and then Here J- we are. John Steenson did come on Twitter and ask me why we were going to do one again if the team plays so much better when we don't so. <laughs> <laughs> he has a point you know I felt
0: guilty watching that on Friday night and he's like jeepers but look if they lose this Friday night we'll have to seriously review our future um, so yes, our final section this week then the club rugby segment, which as you know is uh, normally taken up by Adam. But Baker, well, oh, do you know what we didn't discuss? Why are you called Baker?
1: Uh, Baker, um, back to my the Hinch days, there I've mentioned it for a second time. <laughs> um, I had my hair cut like Baker out of the Muppets. Uh, Baker was the Nutty Professor's assistant, uh, ginger hair in those days, uh, Gareth. Were you Ginger? Yes, I was a, a Ginger,
0: yes. There's not much hair there now. Not less. To tell.
1: Yeah, so um, that's what I was nicknamed. One of the guys in the change room, Colm McGowan, Duke McGowan, uh, nick me, nicknamed me uh, bigger, and it stuck.
0: <laughs> well, there you are. Well, um, bigger. you are here to fill us in then. We're getting our money's worth out of you uh, <laughs> on the club rugby uh, segment from last week, which, of course, first of all, gave us the uh, finals.
1: Yeah, we're, uh, you want the finals first, the, the club finals? Yeah, let's do okay. the club finals first. Uh, well, the first uh, club final was on Easter Monday, and it was the McCrae Cup final moved from the tri- traditional Wednesday spot to the Monday, which I felt was actually a really good idea, because it meant that you, you know back-to-back games, um, it shortened the week for everybody, because mm-hmm. the Easter week used to get Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday... Uh, and it was just, you're just getting fed up uh, by the Wednesday. But having the two games on the Monday was excellent. Um, I have to say, the Malone team were too powerful for Cook on the day. Um, they were experienced side, and, and Cook uh, rumbled to an easy victory uh, in the end. Although, sorry, Malone rumbled to an easy victory in the end, but the, Cook were under um, a lot of pressure because a lot of key players missing and injured, to be fair to them. Um And,. Uh, Malone lifted the McRae Cup and it was followed by Bally Clare are you a Malone man? I've been going to Malone games this
2: season because it's very close to my house I don't get an awful lot of Saturdays off but Gareth has taken us I only go to Malone games
1: now (laughs) I'm affronted because he went to the same school as me down high and he's not a henchman and we, we you live in you, li- you grew up and lived in Fede, You're a Hench man, <laughs> through and through. Surely to goodness. <laughs> I was actually going to go to Ballinlangeinch this week, but then
2: with Malone being able to win the league, then I'm just going to go there <laughs> again, again. <laughs>
1: um, well, the the towns cup actually was quite an interesting affair. Ballyclare and Portadown, and it's a long time uh-huh. since Portadown were in in the towns cup. And uh, again, it wasn't a bad game of rugby, to be fair. Uh, but Ballyclare just edged them out. Uh, they were more experienced, led by uh, none other than Ricky Lutton up front. He's uh, player coach there at Ballyclare, and the team uh, uh, really well coached by Mike McKeever. Um, so well done to Ballyclare; uh, they, they deserved it. And uh, so the Towns Cup headed to County Antrim. A uh, long time since that happened. Uh, the Ulster Women's Junior Final for the first time was played at Kingspan, oh. and that happened on Easter Tuesday. And this time. Jonathan's club again, Malone <laughs> were, were up against my club Ballina Hinch <laughs> and uh, Malone this time were far too powerful for the Hinch yeah. girls uh, again, I think the Malone team had a, a lot of renegades from the Cook ladies team uh, yes. and to be fair, I must I really enjoyed it, the uh, quality of play from the Malone ladies was excellent Um they moved the ball well and when they when they got into space they had a lot of pace yeah. uh, and scored some cracking tries. Hinch were just uh, struggling the whole game uh, but I'm sure they, they were pleased that they got to the Big Green Neaker as we call it in <laughs> uh for a run out. Uh, it's always nice and it's nice for the, the girls <laughs> to actually... Speaking dump- of again. It was great for the girls actually to get here. One of the highlights had to be Lynn Wilson. Lynn Wilson um, is one of the Ulster rugby supporters, uh, one of the biggest Ulster rugby supporters. She's the one that dresses up as Sparky. Everywhere she goes, um, all the tour, all the trips abroad and the European Cup matches, there's always if Lynn there dressed to Sparky. Lynn came on and as a replacement at the end of the match, and I put a tweet out with uh, that showed Lynn John excitement that she had playing at Kingspan um, and then coming down the steps after meeting the president. The tears tripping her, so it was a highlight. It was a highlight of my day. that, uh, that was followed by. The mighty the Hinch in the Crawford <laughs> Cup go. final uh, against Grosvenor 2s. It was Hinch fours against Grosvenor 2s. If you Grosvenor talk
0: about twos. this any more than five minutes? I'm okay. caught. Uh,
1: a very good contest between the two sides, and again, Hinch come out favourites. Or sorry, uh, Hinch come out as uh, winners. Uh, they were favourites to win it, but they come out winners. Uh, James Scott left from the trophy and taking it back to Bally McCarn. And then last Saturday uh, we had three finals all in the one day. The first was the McCambly Cup, um, and it was Balmain fours. Uh, against Inneskill in threes uh, again, Balamina, far too powerful they have a lot of good players in their team uh, Paul McBride, Willie Johnson uh, Divi Laughlin and, and big Ian well in the pack, I mean massive pack and they just uh, were too much for Enniskill in the end but it was a good game uh, Gordon Westcott followed that oh, here at, we at, go, at Uh, Gordon West come by the year man oh Uh, Lurgan oh yeah Mm -hmm. the Lurgan boys Mm -hmm. Jacob Um,
2: Stockdale amongst their fans as well that's That's right Jacob turned up yeah. yeah. and to be fair
1: to Lurgan probably and Ballyclare they give us the best final of the week it was really entertaining and some really good rugby. And I have to a spe- special mention to the Lurgan centres, uh, Bill McIlwain and Mark McIlwain. Oh, uh, yes, or sorry, Ben McIlwain and Mark McIlwain, and uh, they really were good. And in fact, young uh, Ben McIlwain reminded me a bit of Nevin Spence. He had the same sort of look and same sort yeah. of powerful running style, and he did really well. Uh, and enjoyed I enjoyed that match very much, and uh, Lurgan just hung on well to, uh, at the end there to win it. And then final finally,
0: mention to my friend Lee Allen too, who was given off that I wasn't covering the match, so he'll get a mention here, and that'll cover him.
2: This is my first time not covering the, these matches in about eight or nine years. I think it was quite the, it was quite disappointed not to get them because times got final, especially normally my highlight early of the of the junior rugby season, but. It was the only time it all took it out their press conference this week was on in the middle of it, so didn't get that this year. <laughs> there we go. Well, and go.
1: The last, the last game was the Forrester uh, Cup, and again, uh, the worst part of that was the weather. The uh, first ten minutes were nice, and then it absolutely tipped it down. Uh, wasn't great for conditions. Um, the handling was poor. The match wasn't great. But Dungannon again, quite an experienced team, hung on well and to beat Ballyclare in the end. Um, again, probably the player of that match was uh, the, the, the Dungannon captain, Steve Donaghy, who I, I thought played very well. Uh, but a good, a good uh, week's rugby. Um, the highlight being, of course, uh, Balne- I mean, Lurgan, <laughs> the Lurgan victory <laughs> uh, uh, during during uh, that, that uh,
0: Gordon West Cup game. So looking ahead to this weekend's club action we normally have a game of the week this weekend it's probably going to have to be a league of the week which has to be of course Division 1B it's so tight at the top Shannon on 59 Balna Hinch on 58 Bambridge on 57 the league title is still to play for our prediction then has to be who's going to win the league uh, the fixtures we should
1: say I don't know the fixtures somebody else John you know the fixtures well the fixtures are <laughs> Shannon are at home to UCC Hinch are at home to Belvedere and Bambridge are at home to Bose. Good so, man, give if, some if, professionalism if, you, if you're looking for uh, a winner out of that um, I would say Banbridge would have uh, probably the easier game um, against Bows uh, since Bows are almost at the bottom of uh, Division 1B uh, one. Belvedere are in the middle um, and they would probably give Hinch uh, the second best option to win. And of course, UCC, being a fellow monster club, you just don't know what they'll do if they turn up to Shannon. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, well, there you go. This UCC are a good enough side, uh, but it depends again. You know, they they monster or Shannon really have to get a, f- a five pointer out of this. And like UCC are locked into where they are. I've, I've only seen them once this season
2: against uh, Ball and Hinch but you know they might have their eyes on them. Uh, on the playoffs the week after as well. And Bohemian, I mean, you say those, they're the
0: easiest option, but they're going to be scrapping, they're sitting second bottom, they're going to be scrapping to avoid that playoff going the other direction,
1: um, out and of it, Division one be. Rifle Park will be no place for bros this weekend, I can tell you. Um, uh, Dan Soper and Rory Best will, uh, you know, will be having that, that team revved up to go, and with everything to play for, I have no doubt that uh, will will come through that one. Well well if we think
0: Bambridge are going to come through, maybe the best way to see who thinks gonna win the league is to predict the three games. So if we think Bambridge are gonna win, I'm not gonna to go to detail this one, John, because I know what you're gonna say. Will Balin win, John?
2: I think Ballin will win. Um it'll need a bounce back from, from last week. Obviously they're very disappointed to let the advantage that they had in the league slip last week, but I think they're I think they're gonna do it this week. Well as long as Ballon win then
0: that um really ends Banbridge's chances of winning the league even if Banbridge don't get a bonus point um, unless there's some sort of uh, bizarre points difference swing there.
1: It sounds uh, really complicated,
0: doesn't it? Uh, it does, doesn't it? I'm just trying to work it out in my head as I'm speaking and hoping a it's all <laughs> <laughs> Um
1: this weekend.
0: Just now, right in my head, mentally. So, Shannon then, John. Are Shannon going to do your club out of the league title?
1: Yes, basically. <laughs> OK. That's, they're definitely going to win. Uh, I mean, there's no better team when they get themselves in front of Shannon. Um and and the problem I I watched Balna and Bambridge, um battled out of Ballymacarren this year uh, and I have to say Bambridge were, were better than Ballon on the day by miles so uh, you know Hinch can blow hot and cold um, and this weekend uh, they're going to have to be really good uh, they need to get that second place and you know but Shannon I, I think will just be doing enough against especially another fellow monster club I think they'll be there and they'll, they'll win that easy enough
0: so just a rubber stamp for prediction, Johnny? Do you agree, Shannon, to win the league? Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, we've talked, we've talked all year. But you're not you, worried
2: about costing yourself a free lunch anywhere this week, man? No? You're
1: on the balloon. Yeah,
2: I, I don't think I've ever, don't think I've ever been to lunch at Balmain Hinch. No wonder you're on the balloon, man. So to, <laughs> to change tack from predicting the team that's going to win on the basis of whether I get lunch or not, um, we've talked all year about the need to get a team up into one A. Um, obviously we would have rather seen two but if the league does shake out that way and we see Shannon top it that's a pretty mouth-watering playoff fixture between, uh, between Banlinch and Banbridge. Yeah well
0: that, just to clear that up because we had to clear it up on our own heads the way the playoffs work um, is that Shannon if they win the league will obviously go straight up then ninth from Division 1A which will be St Mary's enter into the playoffs as do 2nd to 4th in Division 1B um, so that'll be Ballinhench, Bambridge and UCC in whatever order so 9th St Mary's will be at home to the 4th place side 2nd uh, place will be at home to the 3rd place side so every league uh, placing is important here um, and as Jonathan says like, uh, imagine a, a playoff semi-final between Ballinhench and Bambridge I'd rather not
1: <laughs> thank you very much because <laughs> you compete beat uh, well if the Bambridge play as well as they did the last time uh, I would fear for Ballinhench. Mm. Having said that, uh, the Hinch people were not happy uh, with the way their players played that day. I don't think they did themselves justice on the day, especially at home at McCarn Park. But Bambridge have actually beaten Hinch twice this year, home and away, which certainly in my day never
0: happened. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you missed earlier in the season when I crowned Banbridge as the top club in Ulster. <laughs> Uh, The rest of the leagues then, there are uh, a few more um, consequences for the Ulster teams this weekend in the final game. Malone are at home. Jonathan, you're going to be there where they're going to win the league because they're playing at home to Nina, isn't that right?
2: They are indeed. We've been talking about Malone as potential league winners I think for the last two or three weeks because Highfield had the game in hand which if they had a lost um, Malone would have won the league. Them alone had a chance to win the league, which they couldn't take. So it feels like they've been on the cusp of this for a good few weeks now, but we're down to the last game, so all the play for it at Gibson Park. Certainly is.
0: Um, City of Armagh Division 2A as well and they can still sneak just about into um, a playoff place in fourth because Nina was there travel to Malone. If they're denied any points and Armagh pick up a bonus point win then Armagh could just sneak into fourth place and into those playoffs. Um, Going down the leagues then in Division 2B, there can be no real change of position for the Ulster clubs. But in Division 2C, again, Oma could make it into the playoffs. They are sitting fourth at the minute, four points ahead of Middleton. So all to play for, for them this weekend. Even below 2C, then the round-robin matches to enter. The All-Ireland Leagues have begun. John, you're the expert in this field, aren't
1: you? Expert indeed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Ashbourne last weekend entertained in Stonians. Uh, Ashbourne are the, the Leinster winners. Of the junior league, and the uh, Estonians did brilliantly. They, uh, they they got they managed to eke out a twenty four all draw um, down 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 against the Leinster team. Ballina, um they're the the champions of the west. Uh, the Connacht men they uh, smash band and the Munster men 45-26 So uh, if you look at those results, you would say Ballina are looking pretty strong. Um, and Estonians on an away uh, trip like that there to take out a draw there against uh, Ashbourne are are a decent enough side now Uh, Ashbourne have been showing up really well in the Leinster Junior Cup the last
2: few years so you were looking at that away trip as being potentially very difficult for Estonians. so to get a draw will almost feel like a victory there for them as well building into being back at home this week. Yeah, well that puts them third in the the table after one game on two points. And
0: who are they up against well, the, week?
1: The the good thing from their point of view, Ball and I are travelling from, from Connaught to come over to Belfast at Charles mm. Bridge and that matches on the twenty first of April. Um they'll play uh, wow. in Enstonians in, in the next round of the uh uh-huh. of that uh, round Robin. So I, I would say you know, Enstonians have uh, have not a bad chance because you have to look at that trip away then to, to Bandon being um uh, uh, the one that will decide it from their point mm-hmm. of view. But if they can get a decent uh, run out against uh, Balanar, they could uh, they could maybe make it. Fingers crossed. Um, John, that's pretty much it for your podcast debut.
0: How have you enjoyed your experience?
1: Oh, it's been great fun. Really good fun. <laughs> good. It's good. great seeing you in another light. normally I see you on the golf course smashing the ball I'm an
0: angrier man
1: Yeah, angry man Yeah, yeah. thank you very much for asking me
0: Uh, it's been a pleasure to have you so from John Dixon from Jonathan Brad. thanks very much from myself Gareth Hanna thanks for listening